0: So uh, just to make sure that we're all on the same page about what's going on here in this series called How to Be a Perfect Christian, uh, the title of this series is what is called Satire. Satire. And in case you're not well versed in schwa's (laughs) or weird dictionary pronunciations, this is the Green County version. Satire. Satire. First service thought that was funnier than y'all. Thank you. Uh, welcome to Green County. It's called satire. Ah, oh, what are you talking about? No lie. First week I'm here in Green County. Just moved here from Chicago. Speaking of the way things are pronounced around here fresh off of moving from Chicago, I buy something at Walgreens, and as I'm leaving, the lady from uh, across the counter uh, said to me, no exaggeration, I practiced as I left to make sure I got it right. She said, "Havana's not. Na. <laughs> I, I kid you not. I had no earthly clue what she was actually saying. I literally said, excuse me? And she said it again, exactly the same way. "Havana's not. Na. And I thought to myself, I have entered a foreign land. I know that's how she said it because I practiced it to myself on the way out. As I was leaving, she probably was like, stupid Yankee, bless his heart. So this is, of, this is the definition of satire right here. Two things, a literary work, holding up human vices and follies to ridicule or scorn. Second thing, my favorite, trenchant wit, Irony or sarcasm that is used to expose uh, or discredit vice or or folly. So, if trenchant wit to expose folly is a little too highbrow for you, we're going to go with this easier definition for us today. Satire is to make fun of people or institutions. And institutions are just people writ large. It's just a group of people. Institutions are not buildings. People or institutions, making fun of them by using silly or exaggerated language. Okay? And that's what satire is. And so, just to make sure we're on the same page, uh, this series is satire. Okay? Now, we do this commonly. This isn't new or weird. Southerners use exaggerated language to poke fun of people all the time. Some of us are well-versed in these kinds of things. And it ranges from, like, innocent stuff to downright full-on attack. Innocent stuff like, I haven't seen you since you were knee-high to a... I knew you all would know it. No big deal. That's tame, right? It just it's The kid's young. This one's also tame. He's happier than a tornado in a trailer park. You ever heard that one? That was new to me. That's hilarious. Uh, You ever heard this one? This one's always funny to me. Um, He got caught with his pants down. That one seems slightly implausible to me. Has anyone ever gotten caught? I'm just kidding. Don't answer that. (laughs) Don't answer that. And when it comes to ways, uh, particularly in this category um, of of satire, uh, when it comes to ways to talk about lack of common sense, Southerners have a whole range of things uh, that we say. I I grew up hearing people say, he's as lost as a ball in high weeds. That one is, uh, you know, kind of hurts a little bit. This one's a little worse. You You ain't got the sense God gave an ant. This one is a little worse. Perhaps I shouldn't say this in a sermon. He's dumber than a sack of rocks. Not a a lot of nuance there, right? How about one final one? This is my new favorite. Uh, If his brains were leather, he wouldn't have enough to saddle a June bug. I don't know what a June bug is, by the way. Look it up. We're doing some talk back here today, y'all. Um, if you need a good 30 minutes of a, of a laugh break, just Google stuff Southerners say. So, here's where satire is helpful for us in this series. Even though satire isn't intended to be taken seriously, effective satire can get at serious truth. Some good examples of this that apply to the sort of Christian culture thing uh, that we're going to be unpacking some in this series is a website called the Babylon Bee. Who's heard of the Babylon Bee? Any Babylon Bee peeps? Yes. These are my people. Um, Babylon Bee is a so-called Christian website. It's a satirical news source, and they often sort of shine light on traditions we Christians hold dear that key thing, might not be as important as we think or feel, and that might actually get in the way of helping people find and follow Jesus. So, for example, one article I came across uh, says this, Archaeologists unearth suit Jesus' wore while preaching. There it is, apparently. (laughs) Listen to what the article says. Archaeologists on a dig near modern-day Jerusalem just uncovered a stunning find, a perfectly preserved Italian suit that Jesus of Nazareth wore while preaching his famous sermons and parables throughout ancient Israel. The suit was found complete with a Noah's Ark-themed tie and a pair of black dress shoes still, of course, perfectly shined. Definitely fake news, at least I'm hoping. Honest Truth, at the bottom of this one, it was linked to another article that said this, Worship leaders with ripped jeans show significantly higher levels of authenticity, study finds. (laughs) Which means apparently we don't have a whole lot of authenticity going on here. Our people are wearing normal jeans. need to, yeah, please don't actually. So, these are good examples of how we... uh, how we often add requirements, in some ways, to the Gospel. These are examples of how we add things to what it means to follow Jesus. When that happens, when we add things, it means we run the risk. It means we run the risk of shaping people into our own image rather than the image of Christ. We run the risk of doing church in a way that teaches people to follow cultural traditions and man-made standards more than teaching them to trust in Jesus. That's a problem. Not only because it's a false gospel for someone else, but because it can be a false gospel for us. It tempts us all to fake it, to put on a good show, to grab temporary praise from people instead of trusting in Christ. That's the the danger we run When this happens for us, thankfully, we're not the first to deal with this. The temptation of following culture more than Jesus. Paul, the Apostle's letter to the Galatians here, is helpful in navigating these kinds of issues. So let's look at Galatians 1 real quick. Uh, We'll look at some context that is helpful for us before we jump into Galatians 6. Um, So jump in with me. Galatians, the first chapter, starting in at verses 6. And 7, Paul says this, written to a church that he planted, he says, I am astonished. I can't believe you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. He saw it as that important. I can't believe you're deserting God's grace and are turning to, look at what he calls it, a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Now these troublers here that Paul is talking about, the troublers are what many Bible scholars call the Judaizers. If you're taking notes, it's J-U-D-A-I-Z-E-R. The Judaizers were trying to sort of uh, Jewishize Christianity and demand that these Galatian Christians hold to the Jewish rules that no longer applied so that the Galatians could become real Christians. And Paul calls this a different gospel because these false teachers were insisting the Galatians hold to legalistic standards that were different than the gospel of grace that Paul had taught them when he planted the church. And while this insistence from the Judaizers covered a whole wide range of standards, the main issue was the issue of circumcision. The Judaizers said that these Galatian Christians had to be circumcised in order to become real, complete, total Christians, in order to be like fully saved. It occurs to me, by the way, before we move on parenthetically, uh, that not everyone here may know what circumcision is. So just in case we have a detailed diagram... No, I'm just kidding. Relax. <laughs> all, the, all the people who've been Christians all their lives are like, he's not going to, is he? No. By the way, the Latin for circ- circumcision is uh, ouch. <laughs> Ask your parents on the way home. <laughs> um, so how do we get back on track here? So, here's the gist. False teachers who are preaching what Paul calls a different gospel, were making non-saving things saving things. They were making these non-saving things prerequisites to properly follow Jesus. So in effect, the Judaizers were perverting, think about this, they were perverting Jesus' command in the Great Commission to make followers of Him into what we're calling today a churchianity that made followers of themselves. It made the Judaizers followers of themselves and their particular traditions more than followers of Jesus. And listen, Paul says, only Jesus deserves followers when man-made traditions take on the weight of prerequisites to be in our Jesus club we run the risk of distorting the gospel just like they did so Paul is less than happy (laughs) which is why he says this look at Galatians 6.11 see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand, which is a weird introduction. We'll get into the rest in just a second, but but look at this. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Up to this point in Galatians, Paul had probably been dictating this letter to a scribe. That was the typical way to do letter writing like this. And Paul uh, was known to have done it in his epistles. Uh, So he was dictating it to this point. Uh, To conclude his letter with emphasis, though, he sort of takes the pen from the scribe and starts writing in all caps by himself to make this point clearly because he's frustrated that the Galatian Christians had so easily let themselves be tempted by this false gospel. They had let themselves be tempted away from the freedom that they had in Jesus toward a legalism that was beholden to these Judaizers, right? So he is not happy and he's like, Listen, I'm writing this part by myself, y'all, so listen up. Three points he wants to make here, starting in verse 12. Three points, starting in the verse 12. He says this, It is those, referring to the Judaizers, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. It is those who would make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. He's sort of saying this satirically tongue-in-cheek, a good showing in the flesh. He's saying the Judaizers, they're the ones forcing you to change, listen y'all, so that they can make a good showing in the flesh. Don't you see what they're doing? This isn't because they want you to know the grace of God. It's so that they look good. Now I want you to do something a little bit weird here real quick. Hold up your hand like this. I'm sorry, down down here. (laughs) Um, now I want you to pinch the top of your hand with your nails for about three seconds hard enough so that it makes little temporary dents, okay? Right? It's probably got to hurt a little bit. Look at that. Impressions. Impressions. Using exactly the same kind of language that Paul uses here, you just made a bad showing in the flesh. You just made a bad impression. And the Judaizers were trying to compel, they were functionally forcing the Galatian Christians into making a good showing by being circumcised so that they themselves, the Judaizers, could get credit for it. It was so that they looked good. And why are they doing this? Paul continues, keep reading, only in order, not just so they look good, but so that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. A little bit confusing. Here's what it means. In basic terms, for the Judaizers to get the Galatians to be circumcised meant that the Judaizers could kind of have their cake and eat it too. It meant that they could protect their own status as being real Jews while also following Jesus so that their friends who were Jews and the Romans wouldn't persecute them. Paul is saying, they're only trying to avoid the hard parts of following Jesus. They're not doing this in order for you to follow Jesus. They're doing this so that they can avoid the hard part of following Jesus. So the first important thing that we want to tease out here today in verses 11-12 to 12 is this. Number one, Perfect, so-called perfect Christians are more concerned with impressing others than they are embracing Jesus. So-called perfect Christians are more concerned with impressing others than they are embracing Jesus. You see, friends, when we are sort of compelling others to change in ways that are more about us looking good or us feeling comfortable or us Avoiding the hard parts of following Jesus, we may be holding to a form of churchianity that is distorting the gospel of the grace of Jesus. Perfect Christians are more concerned with impressing others than embracing Jesus. Keep reading verse 13. He says, For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, they don't even keep all of their own standards. And here's the irony, Paul says. But they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. In other words, the Judaizers just kind kind of want to report back to their own real Jewish friends how many circumcisions they got from you. They want to report back to their superiors and hold up your response in front of their own people so that they look good. They're just using you. And why? Because they think that their um, obedience in those ways will earn them points with God. That's the second thing to to tease out here. uh, To notice in verse 13 is that so-called perfect Christians think that their obedience will earn them points with God. Here's the application, folks. When our obedience feels more like earning merit that makes us look good, than it does obedience as love in response to the grace of God, we need to check ourselves. When our obedience feels more like earning merit that makes us look good in front of others horizontally than it does as an obedience in love response to the grace of God to us, then we need to check ourselves because that may be a form of churchianity that, that's about putting on a good show more than obedience that points to the work of Jesus. Keep reading verses 14 and following there. Paul says, "...but far be it from me, as far as I'm concerned, far be it from me, to boast in anything, in in contrast to the Judaizers, to boast in anything except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. By which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I'm now deadened to the world and those temptations hold no power over me. And here's why, because this is what matters, verse 15. Neither circumcision, counts for anything, nor circumcision, but here's the part that matters, but a new creation. Like being circumcised, not being circumcised, doesn't matter. Who cares, Paul says. What, What matters is that That by Christ's death on the cross, God the Father makes us entirely new creatures by His Spirit. It is the cross of Christ that matters, Paul says. That is what we trust in, and not the outward good impressions we make that can become for us temptations to play games. We don't trust externals. We trust the cross. The cross is that on which we stand as righteous before God. Paul says. He finishes up, as for those who walk by this rule, as for all who walk by this rule, who are tracking with this real Gospel that comes from Jesus, in other words, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God, upon all of God's people for all time. In other words, keep walking in the way of grace. Those of, those of you who are Galatians who are reading this, who, who understand the cross of Christ as the center of from now on, let no one cause me trouble. In other words, sort yourselves out, grow up, and reclaim the gospel of grace and freedom, he says, just like I have had to do, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Been there, done that, he says. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. The third thing to notice here, especially in 14 and 15, the third thing to notice really is this. So-called perfect Christians trust their own religious Acts their own religious activity more than they trust in Jesus. Which is to say, (laughs) when we are making non-saving things saving things, when we care more about someone else looking or talking the way we think Christians should look or talk or vote or sing (laughs) or read, And when we're worried about things like what brand of music or chicken restaurant they eat at, when we begin caring about things that become for us functional religious activities, then whether someone is a new creation by the cross, we may be imposing a form of churchianity, a form of churchianity that is a a self-centered ceremony more than trust in Jesus. That's the risk we run when we give in to these human-based standards and traditions of goodness that may have nothing essentially to do with the new creation that happens from the inside out. Friends, let me make this clear. (laughs) Here's the bad news. You are not perfect. Newsflash. You're not perfect. You are not at your core good. You are not at your core good enough to earn back a relationship with God. He doesn't say most have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God in Romans. You are not at your core good enough to earn back a relationship with God. Not only that, But you are not even worthy of receiving the righteousness of God when you've become a sinner. Now here's the good news. God gives you righteousness anyway. The perfection that God demands of us that fits with His holiness, the perfection that God demands of us is given to us perfectly in the person of Jesus. Which means that those who call Jesus Savior and Lord no longer have to worry about self-centered, horizontal, human-based standards that manipulate from each other a self-righteous merit that knows no end and cannot save. And when we don't have to worry about being perfect in order to please God because He's done that for us in Jesus... We don't have to manipulate people, we don't have to manipulate the circumstances around us to satisfy this internal debt of sin we fight against. Which means we have a freedom to ask ourselves a question, how has God called us to point others to Jesus and not to our own kingdom of self-righteousness? Watch out for that kingdom that grabs for self because of the debt of sin. You continue to have to to pay for yourself. You won't. You can't. Which is why we like to say here at FCC, we are just broken people who understand we're broken trying to make a big deal about Jesus. We are all just beggars who know where to find bread. And we don't need you to put on a good show for us. We don't want you. Here's why. When you've understood the grace of God for yourself, really, we have relationships with others around us so that they don't feel like they have to put on a good show in order to receive our love and acceptance. And when the people around us don't feel like they have to put on a good show in order to receive our love, that becomes a way for them to receive God's love. Friends, we believe God's vision for this church is to create an environment that doesn't require putting on a good show because it is explicitly about the grace of Christ given to us on the cross. So friends, stop the show. Stop the show and foster an environment in your relationships where people don't feel like they have to put on a show in order to receive your love because that will be for them a way to receive God's love. Let's pray, friends. Father, we pray for forgiveness. from giving in to the internal problem of the sin we can't take care of ourselves. Continue to teach us, model for us, what it means to have deep and abiding relationship with You such that our relationships with one another can be lived in the freedom and the grace that You've extended to us first. Father, we pray that uh, You would help us to create an environment in our relationships with one another here in this church and in this community and throughout this entire county that holds up Your Son, Jesus. We ask this in His name, we pray. Amen. Friends, as Scott was saying, we don't have to try